Marini's Media. A good week if you're called Rooney and play for Stockport, less so if you play for Derby. Elsewhere, Hamer's huge headers, Crawley creep into round two, and Clough's back in management. This is the Totally Football League show in association with Paddy Power. My life is brilliant. My life is pure. I am a hatter, of that I'm sure. Producer Abby, who's not here today, has decided to completely do a James Blunt on me. It's not Matt Davis-Adams this week, it's me, Faker Others. You may know me as Soccer Saturday reporter, Talk Sports game day presenter, or quite simply as James Blunt's apparent doppelganger. Uh, enough of that though, because alongside me I've got three wise men, none of whom were born in 1973, just but they're all high after another scintillating weekend of football. This lady knows far too many James Blunt songs, and unfortunately it's going to be puntastic throughout this pod, so bear with us. Uh, First up in the red corner, strictly in sporting terms anyway, perhaps might not like his particular shade of red today, former Arsenal Stevenage and South End winger, it's Adrian Clark. Hello, hello. Yeah, very, you're a very good sport on this, all this uh, James Blunt nonsense. Fair play to you. Good sport for looking like a man. Yeah, I'm seething inside. No, I'm, it's just, it's utterly ridiculous. If, did you not know anything about this? No, no, I did completely, yeah, completely passed me by. Um, but, but yeah, I'm, I'm intrigued to know more. James Blunt, a little while ago, um, well, about 14 months ago now, and it is the gift that just keeps on giving, decided to, to tweet a picture of me when I was on Soccer Saturday, gurning, because they seem to be the only screenshots anyone ever takes of me when I'm out and about reporting, uh, looking a little bit like James Blunt, pretty much saying, uh, you've all been wondering what I've been up to lately. Um, and unfortunately, in this particular screenshot, my cheekbones do make it look like I am James Blunt's long-lost sister. <laughs> And you're all going to have to suffer because Abby thinks it's hilarious and has littered the entire pod with James Blunt's puns. So lucky you. Uh, alongside Adrian Clark, he played in blue more than once, a man with more clubs than Donald Trump. It's Sam Parkin. Good afternoon, Faye. And if you're going to be mocked by any celebrity, I think James Blunt's a pretty good one because he is great on Twitter, isn't he? So at least you can have good fun with him. I've been blunted, that's for sure, He's and it's terrific. a badge of honour. <laughs> uh, making her Totally Football League show debut, you'll have seen her on Final Score, Premier League Productions, Optus Sport, the women's football show, and of course heard her on the FPL podcast as well. So quite frankly, it's a miracle there's space in the diary for us, and we're very lucky to have her with us. It's presenter and boo, Watford fan, Kelly Summers. <laughs> I wondered if you were going to mention that, Faye. I was going to keep it all quite amicable. All I'm going to say is I'm very pleased Watford won this weekend, two wins in a week, even if they weren't convincing, but we'll talk about that um, very shortly, I'm sure. Unfortunately, yes, we will. And also, Kelly, I mean, not just Watford doing well for you this weekend, you've been all over the place, haven't you? Yeah, it's been quite a busy weekend. It's pretty much one of my favourite working weekends of the year, I've got to be honest. FA Cup round one. I've been lucky enough that final score have sent me to the last couple of qualifying rounds as well, just because of a lack of Saturday 3pm action. But this weekend, I went to Colchester versus Marine, obviously one of the stories of the weekend. Um, Absolutely brilliant. Just the scenes at full time. Um, They just give you such good access and you're so happy for them when they they win. Doing Speaking to the managers, it literally changes their lives. They 
they come out after and they say it's the best day of their career of their lives so yeah that was incredible and then yesterday I was at Hampton and Richmond uh, versus Oldham Oldham just got over the line but again lovely story around Hampton and Richmond so really enjoyed that and then last night at uh, 10pm I went in and presented the highlights of the Premier League action at PLP so it's been a busy weekend but don't worry I've also kept across the EFL as well. Excellent stuff. Well, we are going to go more in depth on the championship later on. But before we get there, let's talk more marine wildlife because the performance of the week is an FA Cup special. Performance of the weekend. Okay, well, this week we're going to shine a light on some of the FA Cup results that caught the eye. And unlike usual, there's no time limit, no gong or anything like that, because we actually want to properly uh, give the world's oldest football competition its dues. Uh, Kelly, you've just touched on a couple of the games that you were at, but who stood out for you in particular this weekend? If you're looking for a performance of the weekend, you really can't look any further, can you, than the shock, not only of Saturday, but of the whole weekend, potentially of the FA Cup this season. I think it was 89 league places separating 8th tier Marine and 11th in League 2 Colchester, but you certainly wouldn't know it from the non-league side's heroic win in Essex. The Merseyside has already won eight games in a row in all competitions, including five in the FA Cup. They got to the first round for the first time in 25 years, and on that occasion, they lost 11-2 to Shrewsbury. Jason Mohammed on BBC kept reminding the poor viewers of that but there were no such issues this week uh, they were absolutely brilliant Anthony Miley um, giving them the lead in the first half Colchester came back into it and I was a little bit worried when Harry Pell equalised that you know the fitness levels at this level that potentially they'll be caught out but they got to penalties and I was delighted 100% record for them in the penalties and Mike Howard stepped up scored the winner and he'd actually missed one the week before. So a lovely story. And also, I think what we also need to remember, these clubs, Marine are non-elite. They're not allowed to train unless they're in the FA Cup. There's an exemption for FA Cup teams. So not only do they get to the second round, they also get to keep training for the next few weeks and keep playing. Um, and yeah, it was just brilliant. I'm sure you've seen some of the celebrations in the dressing rooms and stuff after. Um, they were just a little bit disappointed. Their manager, Neil Young, was a Liverpool fan. So he just said he was going to have a cup of tea and then just settle in to watch Liverpool yesterday. So no big <laughs> celebrations, but such is 2020 and lockdown life. Very much so, isn't it? And, and you mentioned Ham, uh, Hampton and Richmond there as well. They were so close to knocking out Oldham or at least taking them to extra time. That was that was a cracking game. Um, Adrian, no competition here today. Just love for the cup. So what have you got? I have picked out... Well, I, I was going to pick the winner of this match regardless. And, it, and it, for various stages, it looked like it would be Torquay United. It ended up being Crawley Town. Let me just talk you through it if you've missed it. Crawley were 2-0 down. They clawed it back to 2 all with a 90-plus 14th minute equaliser. Then they went 3-2 down in the 90-plus 18th minute. And then they equalised again in the 90-plus 21st minute. This was all because their, their goalkeeper, Tom McGill, was um, was knocked out. Uh, thankfully, he's OK. Um, so that was why there was a crazy amount of injury time. You thought that was the drama nowhere near it in extra time they went 5-3 down and then somehow they came back to win 6-5 Tom Nichols got a hat-trick magnificent magnificent header to make it 5-0 and then he, he produced this volleyed pass for the winner for Ashley Naderson ball just glances off the head of Asa Hall Tom Nichols lifts it for that's a terrific ball here's the chance Naderson's in behind the Naderson scores and Crawley have turned it around and they are going through to the second round of the FA Cup Talk United can't believe it. But it was world class. It really was. It was absolutely magnificent to put him away to make it make it six five. So, yeah, just the best game you'll probably see in the FA Cup the whole of this season. I mean, if there's a better game than that, 
for the rest of the competition. Well, you've set the bar now, haven't you? So <laughs> yeah. I, I, I want to see one. <laughs> Absolutely. But Crawley, look, Crawley, yes, they, they probably shouldn't have got themselves in such a predicament. But let's credit the character, the desire, not giving in. They could have thrown the towel in four or five times and they didn't. So, so well done to Yemo and the boys. Sam, what took your eye this weekend? Well, you'll know from my messaging yesterday that I was desperate for Hayes and Yedin to, to get through because not only is Paul Hughes, former Luton player, Chelsea player, their manager, but Peter Holmes is also their fave, which you probably didn't know, who's one of my dearest, who's one of my dearest and oldest friends. So, and he's turning 40 next week. So I was praying that they'd get the job done and they obviously folded like a pack of cards, bless them. But they were really proud of their, their lads. They, they did brilliantly, did brilliantly against Oxford last season. So their day will come. I'm going to go, therefore, for Kings Lynn. Reason being, I know there's not a great um, load of space between the two in terms of the, the ladder. They're 17th in the National League after promotion last year and obviously Port Vale in the, in the bottom tier. But Port Vale been going great. Last two home wins over Salford and, and Cheltenham shows you what kind of place they're in. Strongest side, really, looking at the um, the lineup. Um, so to keep a clean sheet, the goalkeeper was brilliant. Archie Mayer on loan from Norwich, 19 years old. And to nick it late on from two substitutes combining, brilliant goal if you've not seen it. Marriott, um, the centre forward, on as a sub, brilliantly away from, I think, Leon Legg, friend of the show. Um, and two other defenders, cuts it back. And uh, Sonny Carey scores a, a wonderful goal to, to send them through. So I just thought that was probably, you know, one of the picks of the round considering the opposition. And it's a Norwich kind of strong side because you've got Ian Culverhouse as the manager as well who younger listeners will only probably know from Barry Glendennon and Max Rushton's um, <laughs> yes. little game on their uh, no warm-up show. Understands. <laughs> but, you know, us uh, lovers of 90s football obviously kind of get it. Um, so, yeah, there's a big Norwich feel to it because Ryan Jarvis is there as well, former Norwich player who I played with at Orient, and they've got a, a number of young, talented boys on loan from the uh, Championship Club as well. So, yeah, great result for them. Well done, Kings Lynn, indeed. Uh, as for me, my pick from one crooner to a bunch of them, Chorley are Adele fans, though, not James Blunt. So well done to National League Northside, uh, Chorley knocking out League One side and former FA Cup winners Wigan at the weekend as well. Just 10 miles between these two sides um, and the game changed really. Wigan were two up through uh, Joe Garner and uh, Tom James, two decent goals as well. Um, Adam Long was then sent off uh, for Wigan. I think there's some contention whether or not that was a red card. Um, but then Elliot Newby got Chorley back into it on the half volley. Uh, they've not scored in the last three league games and managed to score three in this to knock Wigan out 3-2. This is the third time, though, that Chorley have reached the, the second round. Connor Hall with the winning goal eventually in extra time. A uh, little bit of fortune to get after he got past the defender, but it was a fantastic finish and a great celebration as well. And their manager, head teacher Jamie Vermiglio, uh, was absolutely delighted and it was their goalkeeping coach, Craig, Dutes, Craig Dutson, that put the uh, Twitter video of them all singing Adele uh, at the top of their voices as, as a celebration. So well done to Chorley. I absolutely loved that. That's the only reason they didn't make my performance of the week. The, the choice because of they sang Adele. Tra- 
Yeah. To, to be fair, <laughs> to be fair, it's the best result. But I didn't want to. I didn't want to knock Wigan while they're down. You know, Wigan are in such a bad place right now, and obviously the young lad got sent off as well. And I just thought it was too much of a body blow. And when I saw the Adele Kings Lynn for me, can't be singing King Adele. Come on. They put a bit of a spin on it. They were banging on the on the kind of the beds and stuff. I thought they jazzed it up a little bit. It wasn't like a typical croonery kind of song. It was like the song. dance version. Yeah, it was the remix. <laughs> but I actually went to Chorley on Thursday as well to interview Jamie Vermiglio and he told me that his little boy is a Wigan fan. So that's going to be very interesting. And I kind of said, what are you going to do if um, if you do beat Wigan? He said, I'm going to tell him you should have supported Chorley. So it'll have been very interesting oh, on Sunday bless. night in his household, I'm sure. Oh, that poor lad. Yeah, I, I think Sam's exactly right. No one wants to pour any more hot water over um, over Wigan and their season so far. It's just been dreadful for them. And that was just another little cherry on that already heavily iced cake, wasn't it? Uh, anyone want to mention any other FA Cup results? Continue the loving? Uh, I don't want to mention Swindon losing at home to Darlington at all. So oh, let's really? Move on. Let's Please. Move on. <laughs> yeah, not not been a good week with old Richie leaving as as well. So um, yeah, not particularly good at the county yeah, ground. Yeah, we, we, we good result dis- for Darlington. We will discuss uh, Richie Wellen's departure uh, shortly, Sam, as well. Uh, by the way, and here's a question that will probably have a longer answer that, than we want. But do any of you want the FA Cup to continue having no replays, Clarky? I think this season no replays. It's just it's just too crowded, isn't it? It's too much going on, but. No, I'd like replays to continue up to a certain point in the competition because of the because of the financial rewards of 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 drawing your home game to to take it to the big boys from from the third round onwards. So now I'd I'd be quite sad to see them go. And I used to quite like the second and third replays when when life was played at a much slower slower pace. You built up some quite good storylines, but um, but we're never going back there. I'd, yeah, I'd, I'd like to see replays continue. Um, but I fear they may not. Up, to, up till when, would you say? Uh, up to the f- fifth round. Give the f- third and fourth round. So give the give the minnows the chance to to have replays, and from fifth round onwards, just just go straight straight through on the day. Um, it's quite exciting, isn't it? Having penalties on the day. So um, yeah, it's not disastrous. I'm only really thinking about the finances of the teams teams involved. And, and what about you, Kelly? Because you, you follow the, uh, I hate using this term as well, but the minnows, if you like, uh, when you're doing your stuff for, for Final Score in the BBC and you get to see what it means to them when they do go to the to the bigger clubs. So for you, replays, yes or no? Yes, I completely agree with Clarkie there, though, because I think in this season, in this climate, it would just stretch even the lower league, the minnows, a little bit too much in terms of having the extra games because they too have got loads of games. But I think in a normal season, for the financial reasons, yes, replays are brilliant. Having said that, I got to commentate over my first ever penalty shootout on Saturday um, on the BBC. The producer said, do you want to do it? And it was one of those where I was like, I can't really say no here, can I? Um, and the drama and everything I think that we've seen this weekend was brilliant. So that, although we miss out on the drama of the replays as fans, I think it's made a weekend's actions good. But on the whole, I think replays, because these stages of the FA Cup, let's be honest, are all about the lower league teams and they need them to survive. Yeah, yeah, can't argue at all. I think, uh, yeah, Clarkie's spot on and, and Kelly there as well. Gave me some of my best nights in football, the, the replays. Um, 19-year-old, remember Wickham's glorious cup run. Um, some brilliant replays. Wimbledon springs to mind when they were, I think, Premier League Wimbledon, maybe Championship, went all the way to penalties. Went to Anfield with Luton, courtesy of a replay. Um, yeah, some, some great times and... I think the romance was alive and well. You see it even without supporters. And I know they're 
um, one-legged affairs, if you like. There's no replays at the moment. But what it means to the players of the likes of Chorley, it, it was funny that game, actually, because the Wigan players celebrated their goals like it was going to be run-of-the-mill 5-6-0 victory. And then you see the emotion you know, that exploded out of the Chorley players at full time, the management, the Marine players as well at Colchester. So, yeah, it's, it is the romance is alive and well. But moving forward, when we back to some kind of normality, you need that replay to obviously get the finances for the smaller clubs. And that is imperative in, in our game and the way the FA Cup should be. And we wouldn't have got Crawley 6 5, would we? We wouldn't have had the Crawley 6 5 game had it, had it gone to a replay. It'd have been, you know, 3 all. Let's do it again next week. So uh, it's not all bad. Very well said, Adrian. Uh, right, that's the FA Cup. Let's championship after this. At Paddy Power, we know competition for the remote control can be fierce at the weekends. So, in order to give the non-football-loving occupants of your house something to do, here are some of our top suggestions. Go for a walk. Walk the dog. Walk to the shops. Go cycling. Cycle the dog. Recycle the dog. Just go! All very good options, we say. And that's not the only one. If one leg of your 4-plus-fold acre lets you down, get a free bet on all football leagues and all markets. Paddy Power. Max free bet £10, min odds 1 to 5 on each leg on an exclusive exclude shop bets, T's and C's apply, 18 plus begambleaware.org. This is the Totally Football League Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Okay, so in the championship, your headlines look like this. It's three defeats on the spin for Reading, but they still top the table. Flying up just a point behind them, though, it's the Hornets and Canaries. Middlesbrough are unbeaten in 10 games. Meanwhile, Derby have serious problems. Koku's got COVID. The Rams can't score, but they might have a new owner. Uh, Before we get into the matches, I just wondered at which stage do we all start taking the table into account? Uh, We're 11 games in now. Clarkie, is this table talk time? I think Kelly might like to think it is, bearing in mind what for the second. Yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think that the sort of patterns have been set. It doesn't mean that your season is a write-off if you're in the lower half of the table. There's loads of time to, to claw it back. But I do feel that, especially with the championship, I feel that the stronger teams are all sort of gathering around the top quite nicely. It's, it looks set fair, I think, to be a really, really wide open championship this season and obviously with the Sheffield Wednesday news with their points deduction being half then um, things at the bottom are, are especially interesting as well aren't they so yeah no I would I would begin to take notice now for sure what about you Sam yeah I think so just looking down at it now you've, you've got Brentford who are kind of perennial slow starters over the last few seasons and you'd imagine them to click into gear a bit more um, I think it's going to be really open we might get the odd surprise team in in the playoff picture but considering the the depth of the squads of the three relegated sides. No surprise that they've already found their feet really in the second tier. And uh, as Adrian says, uh, jostling for position up the top. Luton for playoffs, pushing Watford. Can you imagine? Championship playoff final, Luton. No, I know. <laughs> Me and Kelly... Me and Kelly discussed this when Watford were uh, were relegated at the end of the season and, and Luton had survived and we discussed the fact that neither of us particularly wanted to see an M1 derby having been to them before. Uh, but anyway, let's start with Watford, shall we? We're going to try and get through as many of the matches as we can, but because Kelly's here, we'll begin with the match that went a little bit mad in the middle with three goals in three minutes. Uh, it finished Watford 3 Coventry 2. That's two 3-2 wins in a week for the Hornets. And again, it was Ismail Assar coming up with the good 
Edwards this time uh, against the Sky Blues. Uh, but they scored twice in two minutes to take the lead, only for that lead to be taken away two minutes later. Uh, we'll start from a Watford perspective, Kelly. On the surface of things, it's looking pretty good. Second in the table, scoring goals. So do you think it's straight back to the Premier League or, you know, are we just going to see a Watford kind of, um, what's the word I want to use? Collapse. Yeah, I'll use collapse. I hope not. Um, Obviously, that goes without saying. Um, Yeah, we are second in the table. And when you talked about is the table, should we start to look at the table now? Obviously, I want to say yes, but I'll be brutally honest. Watford still aren't playing as well as I think that squad should be playing. But equally, I think you have to look at the turnover in terms of the squad that Ivic came we of course, again, we got a new manager. Um, there was so much uncertainty around the likes of Capu, Dini, of even Will Hughes. They've all stayed, but they haven't been back in the squad until recent games. It was really good to have Andre Gray back um, at the weekend because although he's had a really tricky time, particularly in the Premier League, his record at this level is brilliant. 25 goals the last time he was in the Championship, 41 goals in 88 appearances in the second tier. And we've needed an out-and-out goal scorer. Ivic has said, Jao Pedro, he doesn't see him as a number nine, really. So I think at last we're starting to not be putting wrong players in wrong positions and we're getting our best players back. Will Hughes had another setback. When he comes back, it'll be brilliant. So I think Ivic deserves a lot of credit for what he's done in terms of a squad in transition, managing who's leaving, who's not, separating the squads when they weren't sure if some players were going. But it's still not perfect yet. It's still far from it. He said after that we need to improve the transition from defence to attack. We can't just win games because we've got better players on paper. Um, So we do need to improve, Ben Foster said it post-match. But isn't it a sign of an okay team when you're winning, when you're not even playing that well? So yeah, plenty of heart and Saturday was much better than against Stoke in the week. So yeah, positives, but um, tempered expectations from me at the moment, I'd say. Fair enough, fair enough. But results are key and you're certainly getting them. You mentioned Andre Gray there as well. Quest suggested that he could be key to Watford's season as you go deeper into the campaign. Would you agree with that or is there someone else you think is going to be your key Key player. I think Ishmael Assar, you mentioned it before, the fact that he popped up with the winner again. Also, the fact that Ishmael Assar took the penalty, even though Troy Deeney was on the pitch. I think that shows really good leadership from Ivic in terms of the players knew Troy is Mr Watford. We all know what he's done. But Ishmael Assar was a penalty taker. They all respected that. He stepped up. He scored it. Troy Deeney came on in that game. 400th appearance for Watford. Absolute legend. And he looked really fit, really lively, really trim. So I think there's probably a lot of people that maybe want to write Troy Deeney off, but write him off at your peril because I still think he could be key this season. He looks fired up. So having Andre Gray and Troy Deeney as options, as well as Jao Pedro, and then you've obviously got Ishmael Assar. Um, yeah, there's lots of options, which with all these crazy fixtures that are coming, I think are going to be key. So yeah, don't, don't write Troy Deeney off just yet. Yeah, very good point. Uh, Sam, Hamer's header. It's a little further away. It's headed back into the area by Hamer. And Foster has been to it. Hamer with a header from outside the penalty area, loops over Ben Foster and Coventry have an equaliser. That's it, that's the question. Um, I'm joking, but apparently he's the joker in the Coventry pack, isn't he? Is that right? Um, apparently so, according to he Abby. He seems like he's full of exuberance, uh, he seems like a character, he's obviously going to have to learn quickly that he can't tackle in the fashion that he has been in the first few weeks because he's been a bit of a... Uh, Liability for them, but what a player on the ball. And I've spoken to people at Coventry. I know a couple of the guys in the backroom staff and they say he is sensational on the training ground. So big part of what they do. 
They're getting a little bit fed up of being complimented about great performances without yielding points. Clarkey obviously spoke about the Reading victory where they were brilliant, but the last two games to not get anything from Forrest and then Watford again when they performed really well is a bit of a sickener. And yeah, conceding too many goals, that's clear. Um, but I'm optimistic because if he's just tinkered with the system, he's got two front men at the moment, Walker and BMU played on Saturday at Watford. You've got Godden to come back into the mix there, which means they don't have to play that really nice passing style through the thirds, using that diminutive midfield that we've grown to really love over the last year or two. So they've got a bit of a plan B in place, which I think can only be a positive. You have to adapt to your surroundings. And I think Mark Robbins and AD Vyavash have looked at it and thought we need to have different ways of hurting the opposition. So yeah, I'm, I'm optimistic they're going to be fine. Uh, but a little bit of a difficult spell for him right now. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. Um, another team who we were wondering, we thought they were being fine. They completely surprised all of us and were absolutely fine, but maybe not so much anymore because the results aren't making pretty reading for Reading fans at the moment. It was a 3-0 defeat to Stoke at home this weekend. Um, Michael O'Neill's side doing really well. We will talk about Stoke in a moment, but Adrian, Reading haven't really been creating chances necessarily. So would you say you're not that surprised by recent results well they're, they're, they're kind of everything that I said about Watford is sort of counting against Reading really I, I said it a, f- a couple of weeks ago that I didn't think they could stay at the top because of their squad depth and at the moment they've got more out who's one of their best defenders there's no Ajaria no no Swift and, it, and it's making a big difference it really is it might not affect a Watford but it does affect a Reading and, and I think Stoke what a kind of team they don't like coming up against. Um, they ended up having 70% of the ball in this game, Reading. And I, and I don't think that necessarily suits them. I think they're better when they, they're able to go a little bit more direct and, uh, and on the counter. So, yeah, look, it was just an, it was an off day. It was clinical from Stoke, I've got to say. But, yeah, no, no, no need to panic if you're a Reading fan. This is just going to be par for the course. You, you've got a good team. You've got an excellent manager. But ultimately, probably a little bit light on players when when the injuries strike. Let's pick up the Potters then in that case, Kelly. It was a narrow uh, defeat for Stoke midweek against Watford, so a real bounce-back performance this weekend. What have you made of them so far under Michael O'Neill? I think they were very unlucky against Watford last week, of course, because of that goal that probably shouldn't have stood. Um, I didn't actually realise until I watched the highlights on Quest that Michael O'Neill's been there now for a year. I guess everything, time and everything has all started to feel a bit weird, given what's happened in 2020. Um, but I think he's done a remarkable job, a 48% win percentage. There were six points adrift when he came in. Um, so I think they've been... I think they're starting to build something now as well. And I thought Reading, some really bad defensive errors in that game. But all of a sudden, players that maybe are a bit hot and cold, your likes of Campbell, they scored against the run of play when they took the lead, but he is hot and cold. If if Michael O'Neill can get these players playing regularly and get some consistency, there is no reason why they can't get themselves up the table. And I do expect them to kind of push up on now towards that top six but um, yeah it's all about consistency I think and they're not going to get gifted the kind of goals that Reading gifted them at the weekend every week Yeah it certainly seems like a very very different Stoke side to the one we've seen the last couple of seasons Sam um, would you say that they're ripe for the playoffs this season or could they go even further? Um, I'd fancy them to finish top half and maybe make a, a run at the playoffs it's difficult for me because I saw them at Swansea about 10 days ago and they were abysmal abysmal where you just would never have imagined a Michael O'Neill 
side could have served up something so bleak. So, yeah, I think they've they've got a good squad. I think they've got the right manager and I think there'll be more good days than bad days. So I think given the circumstances of this season, you're going to have to allow for the odd bizarre you know, really drab performance. And that's what they got at Swansea. But I felt they, they did to Reading um, what Reading have been doing to everyone else. They had three shots, Stoke at, at the weekend, were clinical. As Kelly says, all three of them, individual errors. So uh, they completely um, they completely took advantage of some real lapsing concentration from Reading. And, and Clarkey's spot on as well from the Reading perspective. Their squad's not going to have the depth to compete uh, for the entirety of the season with the clubs that have come down because we're already seeing with a number of injuries that they're not being able to maintain their form. So I think it was it was partly that and it was partly Michael O'Neill knowing how to organise a defence, allow the opposition to have possession and as Kelly says, the likes of Campbell, Fletcher, Powell, quality in the front areas. And that's key, isn't it? Organising a defence, which is something that Derby certainly have not been doing particularly well of late. If you see a team that haven't scored at home, chances are it's going to be Derby. They've scored once, let in 10 goals and had a grand total of zero wins. Uh, Rams first team coach Liam Rossini wasn't shying away from the results post-match. He said, trust me, I go home tonight and I'm not sleeping because it hurts. I can't afford as a coach to make excuses about mistakes because this is 11 games now. So I have to look at myself and everyone at the club needs to look at themselves as well. Uh, Clarkey, time to sound the cocku out horn again. <laughs> I'm bored of saying that. Look, Derby, Derby, you know, they're big enough to make their own decisions. What I thought was interesting about this was obviously Koku wasn't there. And I've got no doubt he picked the team and that he was involved pre-match with the instructions. Um, but Liam Rossini and the coaches staff... Um, switched Wayne Rooney after midway through the first half from striker to a deep-lying central midfield player uh, position. And I think that does suit suit him better and suit Derby better. And they also then, at half-time, switched from three at the back to four and they took, took Matt Clark off. So it was almost as if Liam and the coaching staff was disagreed with the initial team and it didn't, really didn't take them very long to, to swap things around based, of course, on, on what they'd seen. If, if it had worked, they would have stuck with it, no doubt. But, but yeah, it was, it was quite, quite, quite bullshit on their part to, to do that and, and fair play. But it didn't work. Um, had loads of the ball, Derby. But, but again, just no punch. No punch up top. You think about two strikers they let go. Chris Martin, Jack Marriott. Couldn't get in the team. But what have they got, really, at the moment? Waghorn is, is a decent player, but really the only centre-forward of note that they've got. So, yeah, big problems, I think, I think for Derby. But, but in, the, in this game, I think, let's credit Barnsley, they went, went with a good game plan, really got in the faces of, of Derby. And, and their manager spoke about that. He said, he said I knew they'd be nervous. So, so I, I urged my players to force mistakes and really, really get onto them. And it worked a dream. So, uh, and again, it was another big individual mistake, wasn't it, this time? from the keeper to, to give Barnsley the lead. And it, th- that's exactly what teams are going to do now, isn't it? This international break is going to be key uh, for Derby to get a bit of confidence because teams are going to go for the jugular when they see their heads down like they like they have been. Um, Kelly, with this takeover imminent as well, does that make it more or less likely that Koku potentially could go? Well, if they do get new owners, they could have a very big decision to make, couldn't they? Um, I don't know because at the moment it feels like every week half expecting Koku to 
be sacked just because this run of form has been going on for so long. I hear that he's a really nice bloke. I've heard so many people say that he's a really nice bloke, but as we know so many times, nice guys don't always uh, kind of finish first. I think it's going to cost around £4 million to sack him, I read somewhere. Can you sack somebody while they're in self-isolation? I suppose it makes it easier, doesn't it, really? You don't have to do I it face-to-face. So. Just, just <laughs> well, it's, it's the one time you can ditch someone by text and kind of get away with it, right? Would you get away with it? Would you really? We should dedicate a little bit more time to, to Barnsley, though, because uh, they were great. What did they get right, Sam? I think it's just a continuation of what you've had from the, the previous managers. Um, someone who wants to play intensive pressing football it's the same system give or take it was a 3-4-1-2 before he's gone with two number 10s at Derby and Derby County cannot break down teams who have got an advantage and sit in and counter with the fluidity and the energy that Barnsley have got in their ranks which is sensational you think at 60-70 minutes they're going to be shot to pieces quite the contrary because they have got such legs in such a young and, and, and vibrant side. So, you know, three wins from four. He will be scratching his head, wondering what all this fuss is about the championship because he's taken to it like a duck to water. But QPR at home, who had a player sent off and Derby in the condition that they're in right now, there'll be tougher tests ahead, but he looks to be a really good appointment. Hmm. Um, elsewhere, Bournemouth strode to a comfortable win over Birmingham. 3-1 the score in the end. Kelly, you've spent a fair amount of time uh, covering the Cherries. Um, Jason Tindall's a very popular uh, figure, isn't he? But what are the fans making of the, of the start he's had um, as number one? Well, I think, firstly, when uh, he took the job, it was a bit of a mixed reaction, I think, because obviously no one really knows Bournemouth without Eddie Howe and no one knows Jason Tindall without Eddie Howe. But I think he's done brilliantly, to be honest. It was only their second win in seven. They did have that unbeaten run. And of course, unbeaten runs can be a bit, as most stats can, can be a bit misleading because unbeaten runs can have loads of draws rather than wins. However, I think they really did get momentum. They obviously had the really disappointing result in midweek, but I think, having watched a lot of them, their performance at St Andrews against Birmingham was their best of the season so far. Um, people may remember back in 2014, Bournemouth won 8-0 at St Andrews, so I don't think the Blues enjoy welcoming Bournemouth there too much. But on Saturday, it was all fast-paced, creative football. Their creative players got on the ball. Dan Juma, I think, is going to be absolutely key. Scored the opener on nine minutes, his fourth goal of the season. It was a really slick move as well. And when he scores, it does seem that Bournemouth win. And also a word for David Brooks as well. His first goal got a very heavy deflection, but his second was really good as well. Um, He's had injuries. He had a virus as well, but it does look like now he's getting back to his best. And Dominic Solanke as well, really unlucky not to score. So all of a sudden, all of their flair players are coming into form um, and it's looking it's looking pretty good it could have been more for them to be honest as well um, Etheridge made four or five really good saves so yeah it's um, all looking quite positive for the Cherries uh, chasing down Watford it always seems to be this way I've got a soft spot for Bournemouth and it always seems to be between Bournemouth and Watford I'd love them both to go I'd love them to go both go back up and they've had uh, very good starts I say Bournemouth actually are playing better football than Watford at the moment as much as it pains me to say it Oh, that's recorded, by the way. Um, Clarkie, what about Birmingham, though? I mean, they're just not setting in the world alight particularly, are they? No, not really. No, it's it's, uh, it's been a mixed bag for, from Birmingham. Yeah, they just, they need to get the front too far in, don't they, Jukovic? 
and Hogan. But uh, look, there's no shame in being beaten by, by Bournemouth. I watched Bournemouth at the same stadium a few weeks ago, uh, toy with Coventry. They obviously love it at St Andrews. So look, it's, it's one of those. Bournemouth and Birmingham are in different places. That's That won't define their season. So uh, yeah, th- th- there'll be other, other fights that they'll win along the way. I, th- I think Birmingham... Um, yeah, they're solid and organised. They just need a little bit more punch going forward. The star player, really, for me, has been Bella. Uh, Jeremy Bella, he's provided most of their goals with assists so far. So it's important they keep him fit. Absolutely. Right, plenty more championship after this. The heating's on and it's getting darker earlier and earlier. So why not cheer yourself up this November with a subscription to The Athletic for just £1 a week? That's right, just 100 of your finest British sterling. And every seven days, you'll get unrivaled analysis and in-depth features from the very best football writers around. Plus, a breaking news service and ad-free versions of all The Athletic's podcasts. Sign up today at theathletic.com forward slash league show. You're listening to the Totally Football League show from Muddy Knees Media and The Athletic. Loads more championships to sink our teeth into. Rotherham 2, Preston 1. Uh, you'd think this might have been at Deepdale given Preston's inability to win there. But Preston, who have the best away record, actually lost at the New York Stadium. Um, Adrian, we've not spoken about Rotherham much this season. What exactly are they? How are they doing? Well, yeah, they'd been on a bit of a difficult run and they'd lost games without scoring goals so they, so they came into this one under a bit of pressure but they rose to the pressure they it was, it was a scrappy game I don't think it was a great championship spectacle Preston weren't at it they didn't really enjoy the physicality of, of Rotherham um, but what I liked about Rotherham here was when when Ledson equalised late on they didn't settle for the point they then sort of regrouped and really kicked on and, 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 and pushed for the winner and, and they got it in the end from Crooks, it was a really good goal um, on the turnover. Excellent play, and uh, yeah, big three points for them. I just, I just feel it was a, it's a game that suited them. Preston had most of the ball, and that is, that is what Rotherham want. They want to sort of soak it up, use their good organisation, and then strike hard and fast quickly. I looked at their previous three defeats: one nil, one nil, three nil to Luton, Stoke, and, and Reading, and in all of those games, Rotherham. It was a slight anomaly because they had more of the ball than the opposition. Um, and that's that's not really what the Millers are all about. So I think moving forwards, let the other team have it and uh, and let's hit them on the counters. That'll be the way forward for them. Do you think it was just a blip for, for Preston or have you seen anything else that might concern you from them? Preston have been sensational, haven't they, on the, on the travels? Preston have been the weirdest team in the EFL. No doubt about that. Obviously, they can't, can't buy a win at home. Um, off the scale good on the road but, but it's probably unsustainable you're not going to win every single away game you know I've played in loads of away games where for some reason or another you're just not at it you can't those simple five ten yard passes that that, that feel easy one week suddenly they're going awry it happens it's one of those I think they they just need to yeah regroup have a little break now obviously with the internationals and and, and focus on winning the home games because that's what will put them into a good position this season. You can't you can't be in playoff contention if you only ever win away. Well, that will have annoyed um, 
one manager in particular in terms of Neil Harris because uh, Cardiff were defeated uh, 1-0 by Bristol City at home. Uh, Chris Martin's goal after two minutes separating those two. Uh, Sam, you commentated on this one. Now, I'm going to explain why I'm asking this. I want to know whether you're Team Neil or Team Dean because Neil Harris post-match said, I have to be honest and say I'm absolutely gutted. I feel like I've had my wallet pinched out of my pocket. We were by far the better team. We dominated the game the ball and had the better chances we've been punished for one misplaced pass and I feel robbed Dean Holden on the other hand said if Neil Harris feels like he's had his wallet stolen out of his pocket he must have been watching a different game to me <laughs> what What do you think who's the thief well I'm going to say first and foremost I will always be team Neil because I made my debut alongside Neil I scored two and Neil Harris went and scored three the little bugger so Neil always because he's my mate uh, and Dean used to kick me so that's quite uh, easy. But on this occasion, sorry, pal, I'm with Dean Holden. I really am. And listen, they had one shot on target, Bristol City. And Cardiff had a number of attempts and some pressure. So I understand what Chopper's saying. But I didn't feel they were going to score. I felt that Bristol City defended robustly. They kept Ard- uh, Cardiff at arm's length. They were the better team in the first half in terms of the type of football they played, nice, sharp, intricate passing. I thought there were some really good performers in Patterson and Wells. And I just thought Cardiff got a bit one-dimensional, put the, the two centre-forwards on together, 4-4-2, tried to put balls in, but it never really materialised. And I thought there was maybe an opportunity earlier in the half to just change things, maybe lose one of the holding midfielders, match up Bristol City, get another offensive midfielder on and and try and you know, get Harry Wilson a little bit more on the ball, who was starved a little bit. And it just ended up being a case of, would one of these set pieces pay off? Would one of these crosses land on Kiefer Moore's head? And it didn't. So for that reason, I kind of agree with Dean Holden. And considering the way they've been decimated by injuries um, and they've changed system the last game and a bit, you know, two fantastic results away at Huddersfield and then to win at Cardiff, I think they need to take enormous credit for those wins. This is the Totally Football League show with Faker Rothers, Adrian Clark, Sam Parkin and Kelly Summers. Still to come, we're talking Norwich, Nottingham and Nigel and probably some other things that don't start with N. Let's start though with Forest against Wickham before the weekend. This is one of the games that posed a lot of intrigue. Both teams suffering uh, poor starts to the season, but recent form implying that things were indeed looking up. It was Forest though who continued their good form, a 2-0 win in the end. Uh, Kelly, is uh, Lyle Taylor made for Chris Hewton? It does look that way, doesn't it? We talked before about Andre Gray at Watford as well and how important it is to have a striker firing. And I think Lyle Taylor under Chris Hewton could be the perfect man to get Forrest up the table and potentially back into the Premier League. I don't want to get too excited. Chris Hewton's only been in charge for seven games. But for Lyle Taylor, I don't think he'd scored in his last 10 for Charlton and Forrest, but he's now got three in a week. I think it's four in his last four starts. We know what he can do. Double figures in his last five seasons. I really enjoyed his post-match interview after this one as well, talking about working his nuts off, if I can say that, on a 
podcast but he said they did work their nuts off and it was it was effective a word for Wickham because they've unbeaten in three coming into this one I thought they were really impressive they did have their chances they just couldn't find a way past past Samba in goal but equally Forrest had chances to add more as well Harry Arter forcing a good save um, from Ryan Allsop late on so yeah positives for Wickham and I don't think their season will be defined on these games and as Richard Dobson who was in caretaker charge is it caretaker when your manager's in hospital I don't know what it would be called caretaker charge um, he said after there is plenty of positives we can still take from this and I think we're seeing with Wickham now they're growing into this league they're finding their identity and they're not afraid going into these games which is so good to see but yeah plenty of positives for Forrest in that win as well Chris Hutton's starting to make his mark on that team must be a Watford thing. Troy Deeney and his cojones and uh, Kelly Summers and her nuts. That was Lyle Taylor. That was not me. That was I was quoting someone, I promise. I don't go around with those kind of vocabulary normally, trust me. <laughs> uh, Clarkie, does this match show normal service resumed for both sides? Well, I think Forrest um, were in a false position anyway. So they've certainly got the quality to be operating higher up, higher up the league. Um, Wickham definitely making strides. They... Yeah, I mean, yeah, this is this is a standard result. Wickham are going to lose a lot of away games to, to teams of Forest quality, but they'll they'll pick up points along the way as well, won't they? I think Akin Fenwa was a big miss for Wickham here. He started on the bench and they put David Wheeler up front, who, you know, Sam's talked about before, very good in the air, but he's he's not built like Akin Fenwa. I don't think anyone in the world is built like Akin Fenwa, not, not any professional footballer anyway. So they, they, they just missed having that platform. He came on in the second half and, and they were a little bit better. Uh, the other pick of the weekend was the Canaries against the Swans. Norwich winning 1-0 over Swansea. We had to wait for a goal, but uh, Marco Stieperman was the difference maker here. Personally gutted because I had them on a both teams to score accumulator, which was very disappointing. Uh, Sam, is it Fark Life again at Carrow Road? It would seem that way, yeah. Seven match unbeaten run. I was there um, for the stalemate against Millwall where they had 27 shots. 20 shots against Swansea. I think we were all anticipating that being loads of goals. You were probably with everyone in the country there, Faye. So 47 shots in two games they've had. And Swansea had 19 in this this game. So, yeah, they, they are the entertainers, I suppose, Norwich, in terms of the way they go about things. What he did differently here is he doesn't like to make subs before the 80th minute. Uh, and he brought two young lads on, 68 minutes. And Mumba, who they signed from Sunderland, young fullback uh, in the summer, much to the despair of the Sunderland fans, came on. Brilliant bit of skill and it ended up in in the goal. Buendu, I think, who set Steeperman for the left-footed drive. So it wasn't a change of system. They tried that against Mill, where they went to a 3-5-2 when they were chasing that game. It was just personnel on this occasion. Mumba and Martin into the fray after 68. And that got the job done. And... Yeah, goals after the 80th minute. It's got, got them an extra 12 points so far this season. Seven goals after the 80th minute, which is no fluke. It happened time and time again when they won the championship for two years ago. We watched them try and pick their way through teams and they're not doing anything differently. They're the most dangerous in the last 10 minutes. They were pretty limp for 80 minutes against Millwall and then really put them under pressure. So... Yeah, I mean, they've got good players, they've got a good squad and they've got a manager who they believe in. So, yeah, it it was a really good result against a Swansea team who, for me, have improved vastly from last year. Had to make strides, had to sign better players in some areas. Recruitment's been brilliant and uh, just couldn't get the goal on this occasion. 
Yeah, frustrating for Swansea, but superb for Norwich. They're up to third uh, with that, just a point behind Reading as well. Now, who would have thought that uh, Middlesbrough would be unbeaten in 10 games after last season's showing? Uh, They went to promotion contenders Brentford and returned north with a point after a goalless draw. Uh, Adrian, what is it about Borough that's making them so unbeatable right now? They've got a very experienced, wily old gaffer, haven't they, in in Neil Warnock? Obviously, it it didn't work for Jonathan Woodgate. They went for a different direction and... Uh, it was probably just too big a job for him too soon. Warnock knows his way around the block and, and it's been great. And I'm going to side with Neil, Neil Warnock here because Borough have got this reputation of being boring, OK? They hardly ever give a goal away. Six clean sheets in their last seven. So they're brilliant in terms of their organisation. They don't make individual mistakes anywhere near as often as other teams. And in those seven games, they've only faced eight shots on target, which is remarkable. Um, but they've been labelled kind of dull. And Warnock says, we're not dull. We're not negative at all. He said, this is one of the most sort of um, footballing teams I've ever managed. And and I back him on that because what they're just missing is someone who can finish. I've looked at the the, the um, XG, expected goals in the championship, and they're the fifth highest. Middlesbrough, Norwich, Blackburn, Swansea and Bournemouth are the, are the top four. Then comes Middlesbrough. So they're not converting the chances that they should be converting. So, th- so these nil-nillers should really be one or two nillers to Middlesbrough, according to the stats anyway. So, yeah, I, I, I think they're in for a, a cracking season. Yeah, only conceded five goals so far as well, which is pretty impressive. Any cause for concern at Brentford, though? No, I don't think so. I don't think so. I think um, there's obviously a big reliance on, on Tony and Buemo, keep, keeps on supplying the ammo. Um, but but no, it's just one of those days. They came up against a team that was that was so well drilled. They they just lacked a bit of imagination on the day. Brentford, um, and they missed a great chance. Uh, Jan out burst into the box. The one sort of error that Middlesbrough made free inside the the box. I think he's about six seven yards out, and he knocks it over. So so look on another day they 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 could have won that one 0 without playing well. So now Brentford Brentford would be okay. A few other matches to note briefly as well, including my very own Hatters, who took the lead against Huddersfield. Absolute stunner from George Moncur. Couldn't hold on, though. And to be honest, Huddersfield were absolutely peppering uh, the goal, so did well to keep hold of a point. One all it finished there, and Yorkshire has been a very happy hunting ground of late for Luton Town. Uh, Blackburn continued to rack up the goals. This time it was QPR at the other end of a 3-1 loss. Liverpool Loney, Harvey Elliott shining in this match, but uh, Adam Armstrong ultimately proved the difference as Rovers pushed on to move into the top half of the table. Uh, Last but not least, a nil-nil between Sheffield Wednesday and Millwall. Millwall are good at those. Uh, The Owls celebrating this week, of course, after their 12-point deduction was reduced to six, meaning they're no longer at the bottom of the table. We mentioned it very briefly earlier on, Sam, but what do you think about that decision? Really surprised. I think when you've been sanctioned and the rest of the league can kind of get their heads around it uh, and think about what they've got to do in terms of potentially fighting relegation. Uh, To have it overturned during the season is remarkable, really. Why are you surprised, Sam? The EFL always change their (laughs) mind. They they don't seem to be in control of their own rules, do they? I mean, Macclesfield were up and down in points, Mm. penalties, all all of last season, weren't they? Do they even know their own rules, I would say? I think having lived it, when I was at Luton, sorry, Faye, but, you know, for the players to have that, what a shot in the arm it is for them, you know, to give them a boost because when you're trying to get up to 
zero points and winning games and you're still not there and you're still not there, it doesn't half damage the, the spirit. And I know they started brilliantly, but subsequently had a few dodgy results. And um, yeah, so th the morale will be boosted. The survival chances increase no end. And I'm sure everyone connected with Sheffield Wednesday is looking forward now in a situation which could have been really dire. So that's the only... I suppose I'm just a little bit surprised because, I, I don't know, I can't remember it happening really. No, well, it, it went under the radar. I think, Kelly, you've got something to add. Does it make you now understand why the points deduction wasn't added last season? Because I think that was quite controversial, wasn't it? The fact that it wasn't added last season. Had those 12 points been deducted, it would have been a hot, well, it would have been a mess, wouldn't it? So maybe now we can understand why it wasn't, I know this is going to upset a lot of fans of other clubs, me saying this, but that's the first thing I thought was, well, if they have overturned it, or not overturned it, reduced it, then if it had been 12 points last season and then reduced, it would have just been a real mess, an even bigger mess than it is. I agree with you, but I think that the, the thing that has annoyed everybody is the amount of time this has taken yeah, totally. for them to sort out, bearing in mind how quickly it took them to um, apply yeah. those points uh, to Wigan. So, you know, anyway, sort it out. This EFL. is a whole other conversation we could have. We could probably do Isn't a whole it podcast just? It's on a whole other podcast. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the championship is nicely rounded up. So let's get some outrights from Paddy Power and producer Ben, shall we? Uh, first up, who's going to win the league, Ben? Well, Faye, I'm pleased you've asked that because uh, to uh, very little surprise, uh, all three of the sides that came down are uh, favourite to go straight back up. So that's Bournemouth at 10 to 3, Norwich at 4 to 1 and Kelly's Watford at a very tasty 9-2. to two. Uh, Behind that, you've got Brentford, who are also 9-2. to two. There's Swansea at 14s and Stoke at 16s. And after that, you're pretty much wasting your time. OK, so who's most likely to be promoted then? Well, you're not going to get very much value um, from anything other than those six that we just mentioned. But further down the markets, you've got Reading at 6-1, to one, uh, Sam's QPR and your very own Luton at 35s or two-time European champions Nottingham Forest at 11-1. to 1. So come on, this is what everyone wants to know. Who's going down? OK, so the current bottom three, that's Derby, Sheffield Wednesday and Wickham. Derby are at 15-8. to 8. The Owls are 2-1 to 1 and Wickham 1-7. to 7. So they're very much the favourites. Uh, for a bit of variety, uh, Birmingham at 4-1, to 1, Rotherham 2-1, to 1, or, if you fancy some fun, Luton at 6-1 to 1 and Forest at 12-1. to 1. That's not fun. Nothing fun about that. Thank you very much, Ben. So you can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com or the Paddy Power app. Uh, price is accurate at the time of recording. It is over 18s only. T's and C's apply. And when the fun stop, uh, please do stop. Uh, right, that's the championship thoroughly covered. We'll catch up with a couple of stories in the lower leagues next. The Totally Football Shows and The Athletic are delighted to be supporting Football Aid for the months of October and November. Bid now at footballaid.com to get your hands on some incredible football memorabilia, including signed shirts from Steven Gerrard, Luca Viali, Gareth Bale and even Peter Crouch's boots. Find out more, get bidding and support the cause at footballaid.com. So in League One, it was Tara to Richie Wellens as he departed for League Two. And at Mansfield, it was Coughlin to Cloughman as Nigel became the Stags' new manager. Uh, Sam, any passing words you'd like to say about Richie Wellens leaving your beloved Swindon? Yeah, I'm really sad to see him go, to be honest. I'm gutted. Um, I thought Swindon had the potential to really challenge this year. 
And I thought Richie was the right man. I think Richie will be a championship manager, minimum, in no time at all. So am I surprised about him going to League Two? I'm not because it's Salford. I know that he lives in the area. We all know what circumstances we're living in at the moment. So I know he said it's not about the family, but of course that has to come into it. But he knows Neville. He knows Ryan Giggs. He he played with these guys at Manchester United. Uh, He's going to have more money at his disposal. Uh, He's going to have the opportunity for another promotion when it was looking like it might be a challenge at Swindon this year. And I, I think the circumstances of... You know, what's going on has affected what Swindon could do. And you, you have to understand that. They, they probably would have had a better chance of keeping Owen Doyle and Jerry Yates and people like that had we not been in a pandemic. And, and therefore, they would have made a better fist of it so far this season. So he's not had the tools really at Swindon. And I think we just have to thank him for his work and, and hope that someone can come in and, and get Swindon picking up some results because there was real feel good around the place last year and didn't have an opportunity to celebrate the title and this year the the, the form has been really indifferent so not great how it's ended but I wish I wish um, Richie well because big fan of his work and I think he's going to be a top manager yeah as do we all uh, Adrian what do you make of the appointment of Nigel Clough at Mansfield well, it's good for Mansfield I think Nigel Clough is, is a pretty reliable manager isn't he in the lower leagues he's 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 got good stickability, hasn't he? He's stayed in jobs for a long, long time. I think he's only ever worked at three clubs before, Burton, Sheffield United and and Derby, So and, and managed over 100 games at all of those. So I actually spoke to him on the radio um, the other day and sort of said, does the fact that Mansfield, who have had a bit of a hire and fire policy of late, the last five managers have all had less time than his shortest ever stint. Did that put you off? And he said, well, no, because they've they've told me they, that they're finally ready to build. They want someone to build and they believe I'm the right person. So we'll have to wait and see whether, whether results will, will allow him time to build. But he got off to a great start, didn't he? Um, with the FA Cup win at, at Sunderland. Plays good football, knows knows his way around the leagues. He says his, his enthusiasm is back. He's, he's really up for the challenge. And... Uh, yeah, I, I think he actually could be the guy to finally um, help Mansfield fulfil their potential in in League Two and get them maybe up to up to League One. Yeah, great result. Bearing in mind, I don't think he'd have even taken training with them either because he'd arrived the day before. Uh, Kelly, are you expecting to see any sackings this international break? I mean, it is sacking season. Oh, <laughs> you've put me on the spot there, Faye. Not a Watford for once. Um, <laughs> I'll get that in there before someone else does, or I know that the listeners will be thinking that as well. Uh, for once, not us. Um, Philip Cocu's the main one, I think, that I'm worried about. But I think, given the fact that there is the big fee that he'll have to be paid off, given the fact that the coronavirus thing has happened. But I think COVID is also making clubs think twice, isn't it, because of the financial implications of it. Um, there's no one that particularly stands out, though I'll probably look at the league tables later and think, why didn't I think of them? But no, Philip Cocu's the only obvious one, I think, really, for me. 
That is almost it, but we like to end on something a bit silly always, don't we? And with uh, me, James Blunt, in the hot seat today, sitting in for Matt Davis-Adams, I want to know what other doppelgangers that you guys have, apart, obviously, from Marilyn from Home and Away, which, as regular listeners of the pod know, Adrian Clark is the spitting image of, apparently. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I'm, I, I look more like Marilyn from Home and Away than, than the doppelganger that, that I'm about to, to reveal. But, yeah, there you go. It's just one, one of those things. I'm, I'm slightly more hairy, though, than Marilyn. Not Marilyn Manson, though. <laughs> no. Um, do you want my Do you want my doppelganger? I would. Yeah. Well, I've, it's, he's a he's a slightly better looking version of me. I've got to say. Um, but yeah, Guy Martin. Check out the pictures of Guy Martin. He's the mo- former motorcycle racer turned presenter, Northern guy. I've got to say, people people sent me pictures of it before and said, "Blimey, this is this is you." They've 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 sort of flagged it up to me, and. And on some of the pictures, when I blur the blur my eyes, I, I think it could be me. So um, so yeah, he's, he's definitely he's, he's got the big honker and um, yeah, chunky sideburn, and uh, yeah, we, we we look quite quite similar. Are you going to go for that look? Can see some sideburns on you there, Clarky. <laughs> I think I'm a bit old for that look. Yeah, he's, he's definitely a bit, a bit like a younger me when I had the big bushy hair. Southend fans uh, will remember me uh, for the big booth. Love it. Kelly, go on. Who's yours? Well, this is one that I used to get a lot from friends when I was younger and I had blonder hair, even though it was an older doppelganger, to be honest. Joe Joyner um, in EastEnders used to play Tanya. Um, yeah, so I haven't had that one recently. I don't know if that's, that's a good one. That's a good one. That is a, that's, that's a good one. But yeah, I used to get that. I haven't had it recently, but I've got a friend um, who I don't think will be listening. Well, maybe he'll be listening to my friend Spencer used to say it to me a lot. And they used to go, Tanya. That was a really terrible impression. Um, but obviously EastEnders, um, Tanya Branning. Uh, and she used to shout a lot and she used to get in a lot of dramas with, uh, I can't even remember her husband's name. I did used to watch it. I don't watch. Max Branning, that was it. And it was around the time, you know, there was all that drama when he had the affair with Stacey. So yeah, Tanya Branning. Joe Joyner, apparently. Joe Joyner, a brilliant actress. Um, apparently, I look like her. I don't know much about her otherwise. Listen, I'd take that any day of the week <laughs> compared to a man, believe me. Sam, what's yours? Um, well, when I had hair, hundreds, but all far too complimentary. So I'll just give you and the, the listeners what they want <laughs> and cane myself. Um, well, D- me and Dean Ashton, obviously, never pictured in the same room unless we're on Quest <laughs> yes. together. Brilliant. Who is my brother, and he was uh, much better footballer than me, so it's very annoying. <laughs> um, but the best one, one I really enjoyed, I was playing for Walsall in the FA Cup at a non-league ground, and it was the night that David Hay was taking on the beast from the east, Valuev, the big giant Russian. <laughs> Some geezer went, what are you doing playing football, mate? you got a big fight tonight? Like that. And I mean, this geezer's grotesque, but with a bald head and a beard, it, it was good. And um, when I went up to Scotland, I let the uh, cat out of the bag to the lads at St Mirren. And then it was a dressing room where we had all the pictures above your peg. So I just had copious amounts of this uh, absolutely hideous Russian bloke for uh, the entirety of my stay in Scotland. Love that. Brilliant. Oh, thank you for all of those. And uh, thank you for your company as well, Sam, Adrian and Kelly. That is it. Uh, Sam, you and I are appearing on another podcast that's out now. Any ideas? Uh, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> 
The show's called The Next Big Thing. Don't worry, I didn't think you'd remember because I didn't actually interview you for it. Uh, this week, it's all about Chelsea's Lewis Bate. Uh, loads of other ones as well, including Arsenal's Emil Smith-Rowe, which, uh, Adrian, you were on too as well. So check those out. You can download them now. Make sure you join Ali and George on Thursday as well. We'll be back next Monday. But until then, it's goodbye, my lover. Goodbye, my friend. And hopefully goodbye for me anymore, James Blunt. Punts. You've been listening to the Totally Football League Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Keep up to date with everything totally at thetotallyfootballshow.com and by following at the Totally Show on Twitter and Insta. Check out all of the Athletic's football podcasts on Apple, Spotify and all the usual places or listen ad-free on the Athletic app. The Totally Football League Show is a Muddy Knees Media production and sponsored by Paddy Power. Muddy Knees Media. <laughs>